My name is Andrew Walmsley, and you're listening to episode 157 of Photography Insights. And this is the show that interviews people from the photography world. Now, last week we were entertained by one of the Zeke Award winners from last year. And today we have the other joint award winner. So we are talking to the documentary photographer Jason Houston. His work is completely different to others, as it has a focus on climate and change. And I believe the strong messages he presents in the images are needed to help wake us all up. We have a meaningful conversation about people and the effects we cause on this planet. Jason is very experienced, has travelled the world and spent most of his time away. We talk about the rise in water in Miami, to logging in the Amazon Basin, and gold in Peru. And oh boy, are there some important stories. I also love Jason's attitude to try and honour the community he visits. Jason also asks some good questions on how we make change, and remembering we are all part of the problem, from us recording the interview to even you listening to this podcast. So in this one, we talk about sharing awards, long COVID, stakeholders and complexities, understanding audiences, NGO work, gold, environment, deforestation and crying. And of course there'll be links to Jason's Instagram, his website and um, his portfolio on the social documentary network. He's also um, kindly sent us some photos, so please do check out his work and give him a follow on Instagram. So yeah, I hope you enjoy that one. And before we move on to the show, we always like to thank the friends of the show, Steve at Chroma Camera, Dave at Film Dev, and of course Pete at Static Age. And just quickly before I move you on, um, it's just to say thanks a lot for bearing with me. I've managed to arrange three interviews in seven days last week, so it was very busy getting back up to date. And we've also had a new member of family to throw in the mix at our house, a little puppy. So along with some new duties, I've been clearing out my dark room, so watch out for little bits of equipment on social media. Some of this I've been giving away to others, because I like helping people and some of the other things I'm selling on Facebook groups at cheaper than normal prices. Uh, Some of the box brownies have already gone to a local school through a friend, so thank you Tobias for taking them, that's uh, appreciated, mate. And there are a few 35mm cameras uh, that a couple of people are interested in, and again I'm just going to pass them on um, because it doesn't cost me anything either. I'm not one for gear, I don't like having lots around me, so I just want to move it on and let someone else use it. So yeah, there we go. So for now, let's play the music and then I'll love the guest Jason. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, Andrew. Happy to be here. Oh, great. Um, it was really nice. Excuse me. So it was really nice um, seeing your work because 
I've only recently come across the Social Documentary Network, and this week's show had Kristen in. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got to meet yes, her. Yes, I, I met thought her. you'd know that. <laughs> yeah, I met her through that project, and... Um, you know, or through that experience with Social Documentary Network. And it was it was great. It was, I think they were a little hesitant or nervous about sharing the first place, you know, recognition yeah. there. Yeah. But um, I actually loved it. I, I, I'm, I'm always one for collaboration in the first place, but, you know, to have her work, which was so, so different as yeah. a balance to all of the different opportunities we had to share our work with, with their audience or you know through photoville and stuff like that was it was really cool to have the diversity in the conversation you know the two very different types mm. of projects it was cool and she's great yes well she had nothing but lovely things to say about you oh good i didn't even have to pay <laughs> for that so <laughs> yeah she was very she was telling me um about this other guy and uh says oh, i want to share the word with her don't worry, he's, he's coming up in the next episode. Oh, fun. That's great. Cool. Yeah, well, I think it's nice, though. I think, like you say, that that's a nice challenge and very brave of them. So I, I don't think I've ever seen a joint first award before. Yeah, and I honestly don't know. I didn't ask, so I don't know exactly how it came about. Um, but again, yeah, I, I thought it, 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 it deepened the experience for me, for sure, um, just to mm. be a part of a conversation that was broader than just me and my work and and to have the different perspectives. And, you know, and, mm. and everything, the pandemic just changed everything so much that I think any opportunity to, you know, continue to see the world in a different way and talk about it with new audiences is just super welcoming. So I think the timing on that worked out well for me too. Yeah, yeah, because it it's obviously been up and down for time and for so many people, hasn't it? <laughs> um, COVID's affected. I mean, you know, Kristen was saying you both went through it yourselves, mm -hmm. so you know, it, it's a hard thing. Yeah, it was tough, and and the COVID that myself and my partner got was the long COVID, so we oh, didn't God. have any of the respiratory um, issues. But we literally had a month or two where having a phone call or completing a conversation or you know figuring out what time of day it was sometimes was impossible. It was like total delirium. Um, it was wild. Yeah, I mean it's a uh, it's it's been a tough time for everyone, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, there's going to be documentary work about. Um, how it happened, um, during and all this side. But I, I think some of the beautiful work coming out is what's become of changes because of COVID as well. Um, and I think we're starting to see some of them projects a little bit now. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, for me just personally, in 2019, I traveled almost a little over 200 days in 2019 abroad on assignment. Uh, almost all of that work was in the Southern Hemisphere in developing countries and areas that, you know, are not my home place and sort of the, the classic photojournalistic drop in and report on the other kind of stuff. You know, and I think for me, one of the biggest changes was sort of the forced opportunity to take a break from that work and to 
have some time for some self-reflection on the way I operate in the world and, you know, mm -hmm. appropriate authorship and what stories are right for me to be telling and, and the role that I have in those, in those stories. And so, you know, I think a lot of, and I know a lot of colleagues have gone through similar sort of self-examinations and, and I think that the work that's going to come out of that is going to be, it's going to be a lot richer, a lot more appropriate, a lot deeper. Um, and I think there's going to be new opportunities too for, for the photographers in those places and the content creators in those places that, that, and artists in those places who didn't have the opportunity because we were dropping in on them all the time and, you know, and overshadowing them. And I know, you know, even some of my consulting work as I haven't been able to travel has been helping organizations make assignments in those places where they historically would have sent me to, to do the photography. And so, hmm. you know, it's hard to lose that work, but it's also awesome to see, well, to realize the dynamics that we're all a part of and, and to see some progress being made towards correcting it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I think it's going to be interesting times now. And, um, I'm a big fan of a, um, there's a magazine over in the UK all about Europe. Uh, it's like long form articles, lovely photography. Uh, it's independent as well. And uh, we were discussing like COVID from a perspective of photography and news. Mm. And they're really keen on this idea of not rushing. And let's talk about the bigger picture, the after effects. And I think like you say, you know, we're going to see some lovely articles like that. Um, and also more environment sort of work and I mean there's there's got to be more on racism and class and all these areas that you you know really interest you yeah I, I hope so and I you know we've all been forced to slow down and that probably is a good thing because when we when we run too fast we sort of constantly moving on to the next thing and forget that the reason we started the first thing in the first place was because it was so important and yeah it's easy mm. to forget that when you're hustling yeah no totally yeah. i mean you've got some i mean like you say it's so different to like Kristen's work um but documentary and i think some of it is so important but it, it really felt like you was talking on a personal level with a lot of your work Thank you. Um, I mean, I hope that comes through. I, you know, I do what I, I do what I do, and I photograph the things that I photograph because they're what's most important to me. Um, hmm. It's never been a, a business decision to focus on the sort of sometimes esoteric things that I focus on. But, hmm. um, you know, within the environmental movement, most most work is nature and environment, or the big disasters, or the you know the the dramatic issues and things like that, and. And my concern has always been sort of that more subtle intersection between the communities that live closest to and rely on these resources that we all, you know, need and require in the world. Um, and those dynamics that, you know, how, how they are living on the planet and how we're all living on this planet together. And so, hmm. you know, so for me, sharing that experience is also part of it. And I know, you know, the, industry of photojournalism doesn't always promote that we're often strapped for you know the budgets are tight and we're strapped for time and drop in and quickly move out but one one thing i've tried to do is 
is take extra time when I, whenever I can on these assignments. And so I've had assignments where the assignment might be a week or 10 days and I'll take two or three weeks um, and just to sort of extend it on my own time, which, you know, financially doesn't, you know, doesn't make your day rates, makes your day rates <laughs> half, yeah. um, but it is, you know, it's so affordable in a lot of the places that I work to, to, to just be there. You know, the basic, the basic expenses of surviving there for the extra time is, is manageable. And, Hmm. And I feel like it does, it complements the reason that I'm doing the work in the first place, I hope. So, and part of that's trying to bring that experience home rather than just, rather than just illustrate the issues, you know. Yeah, well, it's making you richer in other ways, though, isn't it? That's the thing. So, it's not always about um, spending money, but you, you're you obviously gaining so much more by being there for a longer period, aren't you? Yeah, I I mean, I makes me feel like I'm doing it in the way that begins to honor the, you know, the opportunity mm-hmm. that I have to go there and tell somebody else's story. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's cool. I, I really like this more longer form uh, attitude. And I've spoken to a few photographers about this and we've had a few who um, talked to um, like northern areas of Europe and they stayed so long in fact they end up living there and 10 years later <laughs> they're still there yeah i mean there was there was a time i my, my my current long-term project has been down in peru and i've been working down there since 2015 in the amazon okay in the upper amazon basin and um there was a time around 2017 that i considered moving down there and and, and <laughs> staying down there full time and there's a variety of reasons i didn't but um yeah it's it's tempting you know we I think those of us who approach these projects from a more long-term perspective usually end up falling in love with multiple aspects of of it, whether it's the people or the place or you know some familiarity with the experience or whatever it is that we fall in love with. But um, yeah, it's ten, it's tempting. I'm not surprised people <laughs> pick up and and stay. And there's something about going places and seeing people though, isn't there? Um, I think some of us are able to just um, get used to it and involve ourselves so much that it becomes normal. Yeah, and it's been, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk in the industry of the sort of the, the top-down colonialist approach that you know, has driven our industry for so long. And the idea that hmm. that so much reporting is sort of almost predetermined, you know, we drop in and we, especially as photographers, a lot of times what you're doing is illustrating, illustrating yeah. the story that's already been determined rather than, than really finding and developing a story. And I think unless you take that extra time and, and you have to take an approach too that complements that. I actually have a tattoo on my forearm that says, I am certain of nothing. And it's, Cribbed, cribbed from uh, a tattoo that Anthony Bourdain had, but the idea behind it is, you know, to always check your assumptions and to always go in with as open a mind as possible. And hmm. you know, and and that'll also that also means that you have to take the time, you know, to transcend the to transcend those initial assumptions, to transcend the exotic, to move past, you know, the the shiny the shiny objects that get your attention the first time around, and and really get into what's actually happening there. So yeah, I really prefer the the long term format, and and I've tried to do that 
you know, both from a subject and a place perspective. So sometimes it's a place that I go back to over and over again and the subjects evolve. And that's the case in Peru. It's been everything from, you know, the fluvial gold mining that's that's devastating the forest to the last project that we had there, which was on narco land invasions in the upper, the remote upper headwaters. Um, you know, and then other, you know, other times it's, it's a subject rather than a place that I, that I stick with and, you know, I've done a lot of work with small scale nearshore fisheries and, and the issues are very similar wherever you are around the world. So I can kind of stay with a subject and still go to different places and cover different stories, but stay with a subject that mm. I'm familiar with and try to find that depth if I can too. Yeah. Yeah. No, no that's good. I mean, I know like we've said, um, off air that, um, it's not about, the science as such it's the fact you're there and helping show the world actually what's going on into it and you know for me that, that that's your job you're, you're doing the, the the right thing and you know it, it's not your job to fix the issue is it? it your job to show the problems yeah that's an interesting concept you know i think the the role that advocacy plays hmm. in were even in even in you know the the work of the photojournalists who consider themselves the most pure journalists you know the most obviously there's the myth of objectivity in there but hmm. you know but there there's a spectrum right of of the photographers or photojournalists who see themselves as you know just advocates for the truth or oftentimes you know more more of a concerned photographer right like Cornell Kappa's yeah. term from the '60s, the concerned photographer, and the and that humanitarian impulse in the work itself, and hmm. you know, and so yeah, there is a tension I think between the the advocacy, and then obviously, especially once you get into NGO work as well, and then then you are mm-hmm. working in an advocacy environment, but but the work's still nonfiction, you know, and it still is hmm. like it's still most impactful and most important if it's if it's reflecting truth, you know, it's not like, you know, mark, marketing or commercial work, even though that it's often used in similar ways by the organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Because of work can be misinterpreted as well. And you could easily get someone to stand with something or imply something that necessarily isn't true. Yeah. And ultimately that just undermines the faith of your audience in, in the work that you're doing. And so, you know, hmm. Even when it's even when it's not fully aligned or cleanly aligned with the organization's messaging or mission, um, I'm usually able. Well, I only pick organizations that I'm to work with that I'm able to able to do this with, but usually able to get them to see that the complexity of the conversation and the, the subtleties and the dynamics that might challenge some of those assumptions actually give confidence to their audience, you know, their donors or their partners or whoever they were they're communicating with if they are approaching these issues honestly you know yeah no i think that's lovely yeah. i mean i know obviously like you've said about the the amazon basin and um logging i mean i think it's sort of made national um, international sort of news now aren't it but for you to be there and show these photos i was looking at them and i was like well i can't sit and talk about just all your logging photos as much as I want to because there, there were so many um, different aspects. Um, and I found it interesting that 
what would them locals do though um if they weren't doing the login now i i mean i'm totally against it i think it's a horrible thing mm -hmm. but we've got to be realistic haven't we yeah well i mean the, the first thing is the conversation gets really complicated right away like the first thing is that there are multiple communities that are essentially stakeholders here you have okay yeah. the there are you know this area of the upper amazon basin has multiple truly isolated tribal groups so people who since the 1800s have been completely out of contact with the outside world live in complete isolation um yeah. so there's there's their situation and that that is an issue and then there's also very remote indigenous communities which are largely out of contact with the outside world some of them are even just in what's called initial contact so they're just beginning to assimilate into contact with the, with the western world um and then there are the, these communities up and down the rivers that, that are more or less in in contact and then there are these remote outpost towns which are sort of these resource centers for the stuff that comes in and out of the jungle and then you know obviously you get further and further into more developed areas and stuff so you know so it's so there's a whole range of different situations that the people who live in the Amazon exist within. And, um, you know, the most remote communities really just want sovereignty and they want some, yeah. they want basic services too, though. They want education and healthcare and to be able to feed their families and things like that. And, and in some cases, you know, they feel that their best, opportunity to to achieve that is to work with a logging company or a mining company or you know hmm. or illegally with the narcos or or however you know however it works and that can be and that can be a challenge when you know the as a from a humanitarian perspective you're you're arguing for their sovereignty and then the choices that they make are to you know log the forest and so so you do you we you, we do run into conflict with the sort of their agenda versus our own personal perspectives on it but for the most part you know sustain they're coming from an indigenous worldview and they're coming with that perspective that sustainability is part of is part of prosperity and yeah um and so a lot of you know the work that i see happening there that that appeals to me is is work to help them achieve that you know to find ways to achieve the economic development the hmm. you know that, they, that they're looking for but to do so in a way that's also consistent with their indigenous worldviews. And so usually the mining and the logging and certainly the, you know, the narco land grabs and the illegal road building and the stuff that's happening now, it's short-term game for them. And it usually ultimately abuses them. And most of the, most of the remote communities are, are against it. Um, at least that's been hmm. you know, the perspective that I've seen in the most remote areas. I, I would say this is just um, common of anywhere in the world. To be honest, you, you have so many that are displaced. You you look at um, China when they were building for the Olympic Games. Mm. Um, you know, Japan. I was no so Japan, and then China um, for the football and things like that. Everyone was displaced. Yeah, it, it's. I'm not sure that's the right way, is it? For, <laughs> For moving forward <laughs> you know my one of my very first big international assignments was in south africa in the earliest 2000s and um it was it i was going there with a with a project that was sort of looking at environmental policy stuff but 
the story that I ended up filing and what, what came back was about these large informal settlements that South Africa was relocating in order, ironically, to hold the World Summit on Sustainable Development. <laughs> so you had this, like, the first time the World Summit, you know, this this particular UN conference was held in the Southern Hemisphere, it's held in South Africa, and they wanted it to look really, you know, prosperous and, hmm. and you know, whatever. And so they were bulldozing, literally bulldozing these, these towns that were sometimes 150,000 people and relocating, displacing these people because, you know, so that it would look good to the world for a conference that was supposed to be addressing issues of development and poverty and, and all of that. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah. And I think it's easy for, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's a complicated, I'm, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know, Jason. And, and these are different situations to just displacing someone for the Olympic Games because we're actually talking about climate change that actually is going to affect the whole entire world, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, climate is, you know, that's just that sleeping giant. We, it's, mm. It happens in a pace that we're not used to observing and so we don't really, we don't really see it. We're, we're mostly talking about trends and trends are hard to illustrate and trends are hard to prove in the same way that individual anecdotes are, you know, so every time you look at an individual anecdote, it's like, oh, we've seen big hurricanes before or whatever. And what you have to do is you have to recognize that we're seeing a trend of, you know, less stability and more chaos in the in the climate and in this crisis. And <clears throat> I did a big project with WWF photographing both mitigation and and adaptation around the world, and um, you know, it was a it was a really difficult project to photograph because again, you're you're photographing points on a trend line. Um, you're not able to really illustrate the trend itself in a single photograph or in a series of photographs. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think these kind of presentations really rely on multiple media. They rely on the the video that goes along with it or the text that goes along with it or the way it's presented to the audience and stuff like that, which is cool. Um, but it's different for the photography for sure. Yeah. I, I think it's, a, it's not only a tough, difficult message for us all to understand it's, and the minute you talk of global changes and that, and you just think, well, you know, I'm one person, I'm one family, what can I do? Um, and it's tough, but like when I saw your photos of like Miami, I've got to admit, I've never seen this problem before mm. of rising water affecting there because I'm pretty sure it's never been mentioned in news in Europe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, then, of course, Germany had those incredible floods just this last year. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it you know, I think that there there are these superlative individual examples, you know, this the sunny day floods yeah. in Miami, which instead of you know rising sea level coming over the levee walls, it's coming straight up out of the ground and you know out through the gutters and into people's basements and things like that. And um, you know that can be dramatic, but it's still you know you still have that challenge of it that's happening in Miami, and if you're 
10 miles inland or in another state or in another country or another part of the world. Like it feels like it's someplace far away, you know, and hmm. each of these places have their anecdotes, but it's again, like the problem is this, you know, these global, global trend lines. And that's what we're going to, you know, that's what we're not going to be able to, to manage if we're not doing anything about this. Yeah. I think in some ways we're, we're a little late. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping like many, like science will save us. <laughs> um, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> You've got to be an optimist. <laughs> no, I mean, we, you know, we have a we have a history of engineering our way out of these things. I think hmm. my concern about that is that that that's a privilege. You know, it's a privilege. That, oh yes. You know, that only part of the world can enjoy, and and there's a you know, there's gonna be a lot of collateral damage if we if we rely on engineering our way out of the climate crisis i agree with you yeah because it's something i've been really interested in me so i've been watching um a few documentaries and, and i know one of the things they were saying about um but fuel around the planet was actually our carbon emissions in um countries like ourselves and yours mm. have actually stagnated but it's the rest of the world have so increased so much. It doesn't matter what we do, basically, because the likes of South Africa and Asia and India are just increasing so fast. We, what do we do? Yeah. And they're just trying to enjoy the standard of living that, that we've sort of... Yeah. That, we, that, <laughs> we've, that we've developed for ourselves and, and asked the rest of the world to pay for it through the, you know, the climate changes and... Now it's mm. now they're taking their turn, and so yeah, it is really complicated, and it gets into a lot of a lot of other a lot of other conversations and issues. But I, yeah, and that's where that's where as a photographer, sometimes it's nice to back up and just say, you know, I just want to make sure that I can just get people to have this conversation. I really don't know what the answers are, but I want to yeah. inform the conversation if I can. Yeah, because you know you're part of the fact. And sometimes the visual side is the thing that we need, isn't it? Because the mem members of the public are, um, we need these visual visual stimuli and warnings because we can't bother to read. We've got two seconds. Let's look at an image. Um, we're just lazy now, aren't we? Yeah, lazy or short attention spans, or you know, hmm. you know, there's there's all you. Know, almost a cliche right people are always talking about those things but i think um i mean my career is based on the fact that i believe that engaging people in different ways with visuals as opposed to just just the information written down in words or something like that is is critical and so yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stand by that <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah. well it proves in the pudding in it you've been doing it i mean how many years you've been doing this now jason um my very first legitimate magazine assignment was in the early 1990s. So there you go. over 30 years, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. not bad for a 20-year-old guy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Started in university, at least. So it makes me a little less old than it sounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's nice. Um, you've got to start somewhere, though, haven't you? Um, what, what would you say to... Um, say an aspiring documentary photographer because a lot of people I know a lot of young people I meet they're like um, do you want to be portrait documentary and 
and they just think it's simple stuff but what do you what would you say you know i my perspective is, is i guess comes from someone who's done it for so many years and i know that you know, in the beginning and some people i think still see photography this way but in the beginning photography was a sort of a a jack of all trades kind of thing where you're hired because you understood the technology or you had the gear and you know the the technical side of it the gear side of it all of that has become so accessible um yeah that it's not really about making the photographs nearly as much as how and why you make the photographs and so i think especially with documentary photography you know there are if it's just about showing something then there are a lot of ways that that's happening everything from social media to the myriad other people who are interested in the issues that you're interested in or that sort of thing so i think finding your finding your perspective on it and really mm-hmm. you know digging deep into your own vision and your perspective and and committing to it and becoming sort of a, a trusted specialized voice on those issues that are meaningful to you or is what I'd always suggest and it's um you know there are are subjects that are sexy and there will always be a lot of people jumping on those Hmm. but I think the the projects that are really that really stand out are the ones that are sort of unexpected unexpected subject matter that are approached and executed with you know sort of unexpected beauty and unique vision Mm. No, it's nice that, yeah. I, I think that'd be useful for people. What would you say to them about, um, say, they're getting their work out there? So let's say you've got someone who's just come out of uni, he's got an idea for a project, could be really unique, got some lovely photos. Where, what, what should they start doing, do you think, to, to get their work seen? I mean, that's, that's a sort of perpetually evolving challenge <clears throat> for us. And right. I know... Yeah. You know, the the first place people think is that they want to get published. They want to have a book or they want to get into the magazines or those sorts of things. And that's, you know, that's becoming sort of an old school way of getting the work out there. I think being creative yeah. about how the work is distributed nowadays mm-hmm. is so much more important. And being really clear about who your audience is that you want to reach and, hmm. you know, meeting them where they're at with how that you know, how they're, how they're looking at imagery and then also, you know, evolving that and trying to sort of be creative about new opportunities to distribute that work. You know, I, like all of us, I was always enamored by magazines. I still love magazines. I still love holding a physical magazine and I love seeing my photographs Mm. in them. But, but some of the most impactful projects I've done have been really small audiences. You know, we had this one project with an NGO that doing some fisheries work in in the Philippines and um, <clears throat> the project the, the entire project was structured around this this donor dinner that they were doing and hmm. you know so it was a group of 50 people that were you know went and spent a couple weeks in the Philippines photographing on this little island and bringing bringing back sort of the day in the life of these fishermen which are this you know the, the ultimate beneficiaries of the programs there and the whole thing was really just to present to these 50 people, you know, but some of them were six and seven figure donors and, and, and 
you know, changing their minds or increasing their donation can have a huge impact. And so, and I, you know, and I've know some photographers who've had, you know, audiences of one, you know, they're just trying to change the mind of some policymaker in the government or something like that, or some other influential person. And so, you know, being really clear about who your audience is and how you're going to get the work in front of them is, is key. Um, Hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's assuming that there's an, there's some kind of agenda behind that. Well, no, I mean, it, it, even if, even if your if your goal is just to share, share your work artistically, I think, you know, yeah. who, who, who do you really want to share that with and how are they, how are they receiving that work? You know, how are they seeing that work? One of the most exciting projects I, I've seen in a while is, um, it's photojournalists. One of the guys is out of Paris, but it's called Disturb, D-Y-S-T-U-R-B. And um, they sort of have this this fun premise that the original social media was the streets, you know, and so busting out of the the, the gatekeep gate kept you know parameters of magazines and books, and moving beyond the walls of the gallery, and and actually putting photojournalistic work on the, in the streets is is sort of this this fresh new way of getting wow. it back in front of. The, the the public you know um, yeah and i really like the projects that they're doing and so i think you know even things like that are super exciting you know as people sort of break down the traditional and typical ways that we've you know distributed work yeah that sounds interesting i mean do you think some of this is because you're either indoctrined or trained through universities and colleges this, this is one way of presenting your work and then do you think that limits you or do you think the real world can have an effect as well? Yeah. I mean, if, if we're, if we're trained for that, then it certainly is limiting. Cause I think the, again, the most exciting things I see are these sort of unexpected creative things. Um, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, I think just, you know, just, just being open-minded, we have so much access to technology. We have so much access you know, to communication methods and there's so many different ways of getting work out there now that, you know, and it can be, it can be hard to think about how exactly how you're going to fund that, you know, and if you're used to working on assignment and switching over to try to get grant funding or things like that can be a challenge, but, hmm. but I think that's the way we're going to keep our industry fresh and keep it growing. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and I've been trying yeah. to, been trying to think in those terms too a, a related project to that philippines fisheries project was a a video art installation that we did um that originally initially was just for that that dinner but then got picked up by a few other events like we took it to south by southwest and it was um presented as an art installation there and a few other few other opportunities to present it as as an art installation as well. So sometimes you don't even, you know, like even if the original intent is one, you don't know exactly how it's gonna, how it's gonna play out. And so just kind of being open-minded to to those different opportunities, I think will help us all. Yeah, cause I suppose presentation of the work is something else. And from interviewing a lot of artists, I've heard how they think of um, a gallery space. So mm. when they don't envision little squares on your LCD, they, they envision a wall or they, you know, 3D. And I just think that, again, that's a different part of your brain thinking. Yeah. 
yeah, I know. I I mean, I often thought how hard the pandemic must have been for people who worked in physical objects, you know. Um, you know, as a, as a coming from a journalistic background, my my work's always been you know, translated to print or you know, on on screen or whatever and and the the physical object of a, a big mounted print or something is an exception and yeah, it's a, it's a different way of thinking. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a, it's another skill though, and I, I you know I, I embrace all that. I think it's like totally, um, totally. I love it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it it's why I think I looked at some uh, some of the uh, other work and um, seeing like the uh, photos you've done in like in Japan for me that you'd capture you know different sides, you know beliefs, there was science, and but there was even technology you'd literally like covered everything <laughs> yeah well that that project was that was related to that climate mitigation and adaptation project that i was doing with wwf and hmm. you know every now and then we get a project where you have a lot of extra support on the story side of it you know or at least for me some of my projects are you know i'm responsible for finding and developing a lot of the story and some projects like that one or i had another one with usaid where i was traveling with researchers looking at some investment strategies in conservation biology and um you know in those cases you just sort of inundated with ideas and the challenge actually becomes how are you going to make these academic or technical ideas more interesting hmm. you know and share the the depth of the story with people who aren't interested in the the super technical or academic side of things, right? And so, hmm. so it's fun to work on both kind of projects. Um, you know, I think my favorites are the ones where I just get to be inserted into an experience that's meaningful for me, and I get to share that experience. But I also, I also like the ones where I'm working in a team and we're really working on, hmm. you know, trying to help people understand these much more complex ideas and stories. Mm, no, that's cool. But anyway, go, I want to definitely touch on this one, which was the gold mining, mm. because I think this is where the photography really stands out. This, I mean, it's like a scene of desolation next to pure nature. Yeah, that. So that area is La Pampa, and it's outside of Puerto Maldonado in, in southeastern Peru. And so okay. this is an area that was made accessible by the Interoceanic Highway, which was a highway that was basically just a giant corrupt public project, um, not really needed, mostly used by, you know, the extractive industries that, that, finan that you know, financed it. But this area is this massive, massive area of illegal and unregulated gold mining, which is really the worst form of deforestation for these tropical jungles, um, because yeah. not only is it cutting the trees, but then it's also processing the the ground, the soil over and over and over again until there's nothing mm -hmm. left. And that's how they get the gold out, but it also completely strips it of any biological matter. So you end up with just like basically sand dunes in what was normally, you know, a tropical rainforest. And so, um, yeah, so the area is super dramatic. And when you see it up against 
things like the Tombopata Reserve, which is one of the most biodiverse places in the world. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and this and the, these scars, these mining scars, are cutting right through these right through these jungles. And so, yeah, the, it's it's pretty it's pretty dramatic. And the you know, and the challenge is, and this is the part that I want to you know always want to try to make a point of is that we're all complicit in it. You know, all the gold in the computer that is connecting you and I right now, and the iPhones that keep me connected when I'm in the field and the digital cameras that I use to make these photographs about these issues, you know, is, is coming from these places. And it's part of, you know, technology is driving this, this destruction. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenging issue. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, but there are, you know, there are ways that it can be done better and hopefully that's part of what comes out of the conversation. But, you know, the, La Pampa was an interesting place. I wanted I've wanted to get in there since 2015, and it um, it was also one of the most dangerous places to go as a you know white journalist carrying a camera coming from abroad. Wow. Um, the fixers and local folks that I was working with would would basically say like don't don't go off the main road. You'll disappear. You'll be kidnapped, murdered, or worse. You know and and you know these these areas are run by mafias and their assassinations were common and and so it was a pretty rough place but in early 2019 the peruvian government decided to crack down on it and so they went in and sort of shut down a lot of, a lot of this illegal gold mining went in with national police mm -hmm. and military troops and so we were able shortly after that to go in with the with the with military escorts and and spend time right. in there and that's how we got access to it and i was in with a project that was looking at you know, both trying to understand the impact of the mining itself, especially the mercury um, that's used to extract the gold and the impact that has on the environment. And then also what we can possibly do to try and begin to reforest some of these areas and it'd be a massive, massive reforestation project and it'd be one of the largest of its kind. So that also was interesting and sort of more on the hopeful end of it all. I mean, when I looked at this, I'm not being funny. I I got goosebumps and mm. it could make me cry because it it's so impactful. I think. Yeah, I I cry in landscapes like that when I when I witness yeah. that. I mean, it's overwhelming. You, there there was there was a time I, one one day when the the crew I was with they were doing these drone flights to try to get some mapping of the area, and so they they were spending all day flying out of this one area, and I just took off for half the day and just walked. And the vastness of it was just totally overwhelming. And yeah, I, I cried that afternoon for sure. Alone in the sand. <laughs> it's tough. It's awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, like you're saying, Jason, we're bloody causing this. So Absolutely. But it's a, it's a really hard conversation because all of this is, uh, whether it's climate or whatever, because we are the consumers, but sometimes we don't have choices because some people in power have made the choice for us i think well as consumers we have the choice you know right we can we can make sacrifices yeah. and we can make choices yeah. on on what we support and you know there are some commodities that are really challenging to track you know and if we're talking about mm -hmm. deforestation in the tropical forests palm oil is really tough one to track and gold is a really tough one to track and you know some of those some of those commodities are are not easy to make conscious responsible choices 
you know, as a consumer, yeah. but we can try and we can push for it and we can, you know, but it does take sacrifice. You're right. It's hard, you know, because we've, we've been sort of coerced and tempted into a world that we've all, we're all complicit, hmm. you know, and driving the, the impact that, that we turn around and, you know, tend to be shocked by. Yeah. I mean, I, I've thought we've had many conversations with people about um, things like this, and one of the things I've said before is I wonder if air travel would become the rich person's holiday, like it used to be. Mm. Like, when, like when I was growing up, none of us ever set foot on a plane. Yeah, and I think it's just one example. Yeah, and that's one a lot of people are talking about. I know Google Flights just. Um just introduced the carbon footprint for each of the flights that you choose so when you go and you're searching on flights there now it has wow. a little like you know the amount of carbon that you'd be producing by hmm. joining that flight and so you know i think that that kind of awareness like it seems it seems novel you know and kind of like really mm -hmm. is it super abstract are people really going to respond to that but it, i think if that's if those kinds of efforts at awareness become more mainstream you know over time we're going to start just internalizing it and saying like, yeah, every time I book a flight, I'm, I'm aware that, that I'm contributing to this in that way. And um, again, I think the pandemic probably helped too. You know, people realize they don't have to yeah. fly as much as they, they did. I'm certainly guilty of it. I had, you know, tra tra <laughs> yeah. traveling abroad 200 days or more a year is like, that's, hmm. that makes me as guilty as anyone. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe like you know like we have um labels of um, content for food and things maybe we should have the f um carbon footprint you know all the toys i'm gonna be buying my girls for christmas um every time we go shopping do we need that thing yeah maybe that'll help us yeah yeah i think we have to ask all those questions don't we yeah yeah, I think we've got to do it some part. I mean, I know um, one issue that came up here recently was about um, with us moving to battery technology, especially lithium. Um, there's a place in the UK where they've discovered they think they can get lithium from. And the idea and premise is to stop the carbon footprint of and importing it from places like China they can extract and process it more or less on site wow. and start distributing it to the UK. Um, which sounds an amazing plan. Yeah, that would be great because there's also a lot of humanitarian issues associated with a lot of the, the rare earth mining stuff um, for all that yes. technology, you know? So, yeah, I think you know, that that's those are those other ironic sort of issues where it feels like we're mm. doing good to embrace these green technologies and yet the total impact or the humanitarian impacts can can still be significant yeah yeah it's mm. definitely a tough one yeah. i mean i know like um the area they're talking about interestingly is an ex-mining area as well so they've had tin um uh, and all sorts of things from this area. Uh, it's very, very southwest part. It's, one, it's the prettiest part of the country. It's the warmest. Um, so they rely basically on tourism. Massive. So this could help 
um, the county, but also the entire country. Because you know, if you don't have to import your fuel and energy, I mean, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, that's great to hear. I hadn't heard um, about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just hope they make changes. Because um, I've never been a fan of. Well, is the battery the right approach? Because, like you say, rare earth materials. I mean, there's a there's a word in there, isn't there? That <laughs> sounds. Hmm. Maybe it's going to run out at some point. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like fossil fuels all over again, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it could be. Hmm. Lifespans, I, I, I really don't know. You know, that's one of the questions um, yeah. we can't really answer. Um, well, Jason, I think um, I'd like to put you through my random questions for a few minutes. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, okay, so. What is the one feature on a camera you are waiting for? The next best thing sort of thing. Hmm. Honestly, like I'm, I'm super happy with the features that are there. I, I don't have a <laughs> wish, honestly. <laughs> it's not dodging that, the question. Yeah. That's beautiful. No, I like that. Yeah, I'm gonna say my technology is going older and older, so I can't say. <laughs> yeah, I just feel Less like the, cam technology. the camera just is—it's kind of like a seamless extension of, of, you know, what I need it to do at the moment. So, um, I like it. No, that's cool. Okay, I think this one's going to be an interesting one for yeah. you. So, you've just entered the afterlife. And you get to choose any animal, and they will bond with you for eternity. <laughs> What would you choose? It's got to be a dog. Oh, it's a dog, right? Okay. So you're the big <laughs> dog man. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So all the places you've been, you've seen a lot of animals. So that's good. Yeah, I think dogs are just the, you know, they're the, they seem like they're the most, most evolved to be our partners. I like that. Oh, that's cool. Um, okay. So this is your important one. So you have to give a punch, a present, or a pint to each of the three follow, following people. So it's one, one of them per person. Andy Warhol. Present. Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. Punch. Neil, <laughs> Neil Armstrong. A pint. That sounded too easy. <laughs> Um, no, I just went with my intuition. Yeah. No, I can understand that. No, that's cool. Okay. Um, which of these are more likely to exist? An honest politician, Bigfoot, or aliens? Oh, Bigfoot for sure. That's a, that's a whole yeah. other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm confident in that one. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I like that. Right, and this one's gonna last one is gonna tell me something about your character. So you have been ignored by society. Everyone passes you every day and says nothing. But you find some glasses on the floor and put them on, and you discover the world for what it is. Full of messages from God. 
and there are aliens everywhere. You persuade a friend to try them on, but they refuse. Do you keep the glasses and they're happy to live a lie and be happy? Well, so this is the premise that the movie The Matrix is built on, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was an older film that this is actually based on. Gotcha. Yeah, I would I I have to go with the truth. I'd keep the glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I could understand that. I mean, tell everything <laughs> about your work tells me that. Cool. That's why I always like to ask these questions. You're like, mm, that's funny. That's definitely them. That's funny. Yeah. Nah, I agree. Yeah, there was a I think it was from the 80s there was actually a science fiction film and when they put the glasses on they saw the humans as actual aliens which is what they really were so wow. it was you know years and years before matrix so yeah it was interesting cool terrible film yeah. <laughs> but there you go love it awesome. the 80s. well thank you so much for that jason so would you like to tell everybody where we can check you out online uh you know the the easiest place is just my website, Jason Houston, H-O-U-S-T-O-N.com. And, um, and they should all feel, everyone should feel free to reach out and say hi too. I love, you know, photography is this weird sort of lonely industry and job career where we make these images and put them out into the world and don't always get a, a ton of response. So I love hearing from people as well. So I'll encourage that. No, that's cool. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, my last thing. So I run this pay it forward scheme. So is there anyone that you think I should be checking out, whether it's for photography or a future guest that you can recommend? Hmm. Gosh, I'm inspired by my people <laughs> all the time. Um, hmm. It's always a hard one. So a friend just brought me a book today. Um, a photographer is a young younger magnum photographer Kalikala. his work is brilliant super poetic um inspires me deeply um so if you can get him on the show i think he'd be an amazing guest and if not everyone should at least check him out Kalikala. yeah his work Kalikala. it's awesome no that's cool no that's brilliant um thanks jason All right. honestly um it's really nice to get someone who shows such meaningful work. Yeah. Thank you for, um, for having me. And it was a great chat. Appreciate it. No, I just wish you the best of luck, mate, and keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Hey y'all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed um, interviewing. Please don't forget if you want to get involved, I'm starting to put out there on social media uh, the list of guests for that week. You are welcome to submit any questions you want to ask and hopefully I'll read them out for you. Whether you want to do that through Instagram um, direct message you can just click if you click on the direct message bit uh, there's a button there and you can record and send that right across uh, but there's many apps you can do or email me or send me a dm on facebook instagram whatever that's cool with me for those of you who want to support the show please don't forget uh, itunes reviews are always appreciated 
and obviously I will read them out uh, the following week for you and I tend to use them on social media so that's all very much appreciated if you'd like to help contribute towards the show then don't forget there's my coffee page where you can submit anything from one dollar a pound or upwards and I'll keep a note on there what I'm trying to achieve um, as the months and years go by for those who want to keep coming back to the show don't forget you can just subscribe in your friendly podcast app of choice and there's a weekly newsletter on my website flogger.co.uk so it's p-h-l-o-g-g-e-r and you'll get an automated email from me and that tells you each week um, what's gone up on the website so it's the podcasts and any articles I've wrote so yeah thank you so much and I'll see you again soon bye